In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Uh, Lord God, thank you for bringing us together today. Thank you for allowing us to wake up and live another day. Help us to never take anything for granted and to always look to you, especially in times of struggle. Mother Mary, please intercede for us as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst men, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, welcome back. This is Luke from Papal Pleasantries. Haven't made a video in a while, but um, I'm excited to have two of my friends from college, Zach Rothamer and Giovanni Del Piero. We just call him Gia for short. Um, here, so yeah, welcome guys. Gio also runs uh, the weekly Papist podcast. Shout out. Um, it's pretty good. Not as good as mine though. But uh, <laughs> no, and so yeah, today we're gonna talk about a variety of uh, Catholic topics. But I'm letting Gio lead off with the question. He still won't tell me what it is. So I'm hoping it's not controversial. But yeah, you're about to lose all of your audience. Okay, you ready? Okay, here's the question. On your, assume, if you all have like a bucket list. What would you say is like your your top item? Like just something that you absolutely have to do before you die. Oh, okay, so that's told you. That's, okay, that's actually, actually a toughie. Well, actually, very awkwardly, the first thing that comes to mind is marriage. Oh, but I mean, okay, from shoot, um. I mean, from like from like a religious standpoint, I'd say. Well, I mean, obviously, figure out my vacation in life. I'd say, although that can take years, but okay. For some reason, I think this is like ever since my grandfather died, I've always thought about this because he got the apostolic blessing. If I had one thing on my bucket list before I die, it's that like literally right before I die, I can get the apostolic blessing because that like removes all temporal punishment, which is like. It's yeah. I mean, not many people know about it. It's really cool though. But how does how does it like how do you get it? Yeah. So it's I'd have to I'd have to go look more into it. But a priest a priest can um it's like a priest assigns it or like can perform the act of like the episodic blessing. Literally, the person has to be like very very close to death. So my grandfather technically got it three times because there were three different instances when they thought he was gonna die. Mm -hmm. But it's here, Joe. You got the specifications pulled up. Well, according to um, the renowned website called Wikipedia, um, <laughs> the apostolic blessing is imparted by the Pope, either directly or by delegation, and bishops are empowered to grant it three times a year, and any priest can do so for the dying. Okay, yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so, so it's, it's like a papal blessing that can be like indirectly imparted onto someone through either a bit. Well, I guess I'm assuming a priest for last rites. Yeah. Well, okay, speaking of papal, did I tell you I was like two feet away from touching the poop? Oh, that's right. Yeah, you were one of the lucky ones. <laughs> no, I, okay, I was, I look, he was actually kind of mad because he, he was like looking at me and then he saw a group of kids and he went, to, I was just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, who's more important than no, I'm, 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 How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> See, it was hard because, like, I'd show people, because I can only get pictures of him from pretty far away. And, like, yeah. I'd show people back home the pictures, and the only question they had is, what's that, like, giant thing? You know, the, the behind his chair, the weird sculpture with that looks Oh, wait, like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, what, yeah like, I, and I honestly had to be like, you know, I really don't know. So, so it's, it's, a giant crucifix, but I think there's like a big old metal vine that kind of loops around it. I guess it, but it kind of looked like a spider web almost. I, it reminded me of the tree from Lord of the Rings, like the white tree at <laughs> Om Ministerith. But I'm like a nerd, so it's gonna. Yeah, it just, it just, I don't know. It definitely like threw off things in my, in my, in my humble opinion. It looks but... 
Yeah, it looks rather gothic or sort of. I think it, it looks like no, it looks like someone tried to do a mix of gothic and contemporary, well, and tried to, or modern art, tried to like mold it together. I don't necessarily mean the like French gothic, like the the good. Oh, the you good mean old, like, I mean like vampire gothic. Oh, it looks oh my word! Wonky. Oh boy, it looks wonky. All right. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a little it's a little strange to say the least, but um, I guess I'll, I guess I'll answer my question. Um, yeah, I, think, I was gonna say. I think two things. One, I would like to visit like a lot of the major holy sites in the east, so like Jerusalem, um, Hagia Sophia. Obviously, it's a mosque, but we all know what it really is. Um, <laughs> like Damascus, like how a lot of the pl- Alexandria, like places where like the original sees of the church works. Like, oh, I went to Rome, but I haven't been to the other ones. Um, and then probably visit every continent, I think. How, how many do you have left? Uh, there's a seven continents. There's seven no, continents. You're I've currently been, on one. Try to think. Cause I had been, I did Europe, North America. Yeah. Cause I was about to say, I was about to count South America, but then I was like, no, Mexico's in North America. Duh. So yeah. So five left. Kind of weird so, to in South America. Wait, actually, wait, yeah. And like, I guess Antarctica is like gonna be a challenge. Yeah, that's gonna that's gonna be a tough thing. You get to live in like the domes though that they have. Have you seen these? They're really cool. They they yeah. have like they grow all their food like hydroponically, so with like water systems that they insert nutrients into. It's really cool. <laughs> Very sci-fi. Hmm. Well, okay, actually, okay, you know what? I just thought of I thought of a I thought I actually <laughs> yeah. did just think of a question. Okay, so Zach, you said marriage. Okay, so Ooh. what do y'all think? But this this could be this could be a little bit of a hot topic, but I mean it's a Catholic podcast. You're gonna get that at some point. Okay, what do you think about? Um, it's like what do you think about what the dating culture was like 30 years ago compared to hookup culture now? Like like what are what are y'all's thoughts on that? Because I like talking with a lot of people, especially like I'd worked a retreat this past summer, which like predominantly high schoolers had gone on it. It's so, like me and like a couple other college people worked it. But it's like hearing from some of these kids, some of the stuff that like goes on, and even like hearing from kids at my own high school, some of like the disgusting stuff that happens. How do y'all think it affects people? Slash, what should guys be doing to kind of? I think that's really hard because it's it's difficult to teach morality, especially now. But I think we can also look back to the time of Jesus to kind of reading the apostolic letters, what <clears throat> the apostles were dealing with. I think St. Paul is a great example of that, like with Corinth and whatnot. But I, I bring that up only because the, how do you convince someone that the pleasure that they're experiencing now is not actually good or is they shouldn't be doing it, right? Yeah. I kind of like, I think you make a good point. It's kind of like building off what you said. I think that if we're going to achieve any sort of success, we have to take the mindset, like Christians in America today, we need to be thinking how like the Christians were thinking in the Roman Empire. Because really think about it, our situation is not that different. Like them, we're surrounded by a multitude of different, you know, religious sects and cults and philosophical groups, all vying for converts. And also you're surrounded by gluttony, you're surrounded by lust, like it's, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like figuring out how to build communities that will foster those virtues, how you encourage other people to come along with you. Like it's like you said, it's a very difficult process, but at the same time, it's helpful knowing that like we as like Christians have been in the situation many, many times. Yeah. yeah. So like we have models to look to in a sense. Yeah. And I do think, I, I mean, you, you just said it, but it's like surrounding yourself with people, I think is an essential aspect. One priest had one time given a talk on like true friendship. Cause I mean, like you have friends, but it's like he, went into even more specific saying that like there's true friends who actually can bring you closer to christ and i find that i mean especially here at colleges it's like especially first semester is something my sister told me is like 
a lot of the people you meet first semester, you probably won't end up being friends with at college because it's so easy to like like cling to somebody that like when when you don't really know anybody. And I feel like that happened a lot in high school. Definitely happened in high school. And yeah. so yeah, yeah. And so it's like I never I never really kept in touch with that many guys from my high school just because a lot of them weren't the best influence. And I mean, it even happens a bit in college, but it's just, I think that's such a, a big thing is because a lot of people looking around will see like the culture of today and think it's okay. Even, even, I mean, even Catholics do that. And so. Well, even like at our college, it's pretty easy. I think now, like when you're a freshman, everyone's sort of getting to like to know each other, but also now you can sort of see the divisions between people who, for instance, are pretty devout Catholics and who take their faith very seriously and those who aren't. And so you kind of see like the two different lifestyles sort of, I think, clashing a little bit to some extent. So it's like, in one sense, it's encouraging because you know who you can trust and sort of who's going to back you up. And then also it's like, you know, obviously you want to bring those other people with you. And sometimes it's very difficult to do. Yeah. What do y'all, okay, so what do y'all think some drawbacks like could be to, I mean, to like standing up against hookup culture because it's such a prevalence in society that you definitely would be a bit ostracized for it. Like, what do y'all think well, in, like, entails that? I, I would go so far. I don't think it's just dominant. It is the thing that people do now. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's no question about that. But I mean, it's ingrained into society's DNA almost. So, like, this is a, a this is a an, an alienable right that you have. Yeah. Well, and I mean, anyone who suggests otherwise is, you know, something's, like, they're a freak. Like, something's wrong with them. I mean, it's everywhere, too, in the culture. It's not just, it shows books everything have this kind of idea that meet someone and then you know that that's all you need right right it is weird though because i feel like marriage is seen as a lesser thing is it's kind of just like it seems like that's a constriction like it ties you down like like, yeah Yeah. like it ties you down but i mean from from like a guy's perspective though is what do y'all think we could be doing as guys to try to like put an end to that well i think it's Kind of to what we were discussing before is you just have to, you need other guys to serve as your accountability partners. Because, like, I mean, it's not just, for example, hookup culture. You know, you're dealing, there's encouragement to do different types of drugs, to engage in, you know, excessive drinking, uh, pornography, a very big one, I think, as well. And it's like, if you don't have those supports, you're just kind of going to be there on your own and you're not going to have the backup necessary for when you have those challenges and you're faced with those um, temptations. And I know like, for instance, for pornography, I know there's online yeah. websites and sources that they develop to help young men who are more isolated to counter them. So it's, you know, there's just sort of trying to find as many connections and avenues as you can, I think, to work on uh, battling those things. So Gio, you said um, that at college, like kids living out their faith lives, like it's, it can be encouraging to see that. But there's also like the double side of it is like there's still some bad things that go on. So in regards to being at college and in regards to encountering the Lord like throughout your whole life, how do you either of y'all think encountering the Lord is different here at college or even like it's a like how is it different in today's world compared to what, what you think it should be? I think there's a lot of subjectivity behind it. There's sort of this like imagine like a mountain and it's like god's at the top and it's like well any of these paths which are these different religious traditions you can take any of them and you will you know god will meet you where you at you know you'll find your way there and it's like i think no we have to understand that there is there is an objective truth there's objective right or wrong and that also recognizes that some actually well, <laughs> most of those <laughs> traditions are wrong and that's you have to 
if you try to use one of those paths to get up that mountain, you're going to get lost and you're going to yeah. stumble and fall. Like there's only one clear path to get there. I think it's, it's that most of those paths, they might get you part way up the mountain, but they're not going to yeah. get you to the top of the mountain. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the thing. Right? Yeah, it was. Um, it was fine. I was reading. Uh, to autobi- it was a biography of a. He was an Orthodox priest, but he made a similar analogy. Um, his name was Father Seraphim Rose, because he had talked about, for instance, that like in the West and the East, prior to Christianity, you had you know the Greek philosophers. They also had, for example, um, Lao Tzu, who developed what we call today Taoism. And said they both sort of laid the foundations for Christ, but that ultimately it was Christ who completed those philosophies. So it's like you can take you can take those you can take the truths that are encountered those traditions, like you said, partway up the mountain, but it's Christ that's gonna get you all the way to the top. Like you're only getting sort of like the you're only getting like half the reality. Isn't that the the idea of like the logos grammatical, the like bits of the word that are spread throughout mm-hmm. other religions. So, you know, inherently when humans are hopefully being rational, we are participating in some way in the, the logos. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're trying to find God, you are not going to be able to make it there because right. he is super, you know, everything. <laughs> Just <laughs> a big super dude, yeah. all his attributes. But, you know, he, he came down to us, but we can at, we can still at least attempt to, or we can attempt to reach him, or we can find bits that he's kind of left as clues in other, other places. Yeah. Do you all think, so the concept of faith versus feeling in our Catholic faith, do you feel that in the modern world, a lot of people tend to focus on one or the other instead of finding a healthy balance between the two? I think you're left with a lot of what I would deem like cultural Catholics. Yeah. People who are just, and, and this is probably true in Protestant denominations oh. as well, undoubtedly. There's just people who just do it because like their the, parents like, did it. Or like they go to, I saw this in D.C., like, you know, I won't specify which church it was and where, but it was a, it was a uh, Protestant church with a certain denominational group where the church was in the basement of a coffee shop. And so people would get their coffee, you know, they was like social hour, and then they'd go to church and, you know, do their like singing and stuff. Like it's it's a very, like there wasn't real faith there. Or maybe there were, like there were people there who I knew were faithful Christians, but that service, like God was not there. Well, it's like, what's the statistic that you gave, Luke, about uh the Catholics who believe in the real presence. Yeah, so I, so Zach and I were talking. Was it like earlier today? It was. Just it was today. Yeah, it was at some point. But I, there was a Gallup poll. I think I said this. I may have said this in an earlier podcast. I think no, I don't remember. But there was a Gallup poll that said only thirty percent of Catholics believe in the real presence. But citation a, needed. Citation was, needed. But is this for like Catholics in America? Or? Catholics. Ooh. I I, I I don't know if that would be worldwide, but definitely I would I, 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 th- I think it, I think it would be in the U.S. But then a lot of priests even said that that was a specific, like a specific, like that was a generous number, and and even then they would go so far as to say that like a lot of people think that it's actually a third of that, which mm-hmm. means that only ten percent of Catholics believe in the real presence. Which like I was thinking about that today during mass, and I I just remember like looking at the the host, and I'm just like. I'm like, how can a person not, like, how can you call yourself a Catholic? And I'm like, obviously, we're not supposed to understand the whole thing because it's like called the mystery of faith for a reason. Why? But there's at a, the same time, there's a basic doctrine you have to You have to follow if you call yourself a Catholic. And so, I mean, that's where like the faith aspect of playing. Because if you focus solely on feeling, then you lose that like faith filled aspect. But I, I find, or do you have some, Zach? I would actually, when we separate faith and feeling, um, 
maybe we should specify a little bit more because I would actually argue that quote unquote, are we saying that feeling is just doing the motions and faith would be believing it or? Hmm. I would say how I've always thought of it is that faith is, it's kind of like the, I don't want to say the hard evidence for your faith, but faith is, it is you. It's kind of like you putting in the work, like Mm -hmm. you knowing your stuff, you experience it, you actually carrying it out, praying actively. Yeah. And then feeling is not so much letting your emotions affect your faith but like as humans we are like we are inherently emotional people and so to a degree like that will play into our faith and that actually does affect our faith and because you have things like spiritual desolation spiritual consolation which like that's like feeling also and then when the feeling is away in desolation that's when your faith needs to pick up the slack Mm -hmm. and so that's kind of like where i see the differentiation between the two i think we also have to be very clear with the like sort of relationship aspect of the faith as well, the faith capital F. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, it it's not enough to just go to mass and believe these things. You also have to develop a relationship with Jesus. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. You can't just believe everything, do the motions. It's like, mm. well, I would add as well, this is, I think, a risk at schools like ours. There's also a tendency to over-intellectualize the yeah. faith where to the point where it's like, you know, you could have entire sections of the Summa memorized or you can know what every theologian early church father said about X. But like you said, if you don't have that relationship with Christ. You really don't have anything. And I like, you know, it's obvious there's the, the tendency to kind of look at that. Oh, that sounds very Protestant. It's like, well, <laughs> sometimes they do a better job at recognizing what's most important. I think we tend to, sometimes obscure Christ in the midst of some of these other disputes. And it's obviously, knowing theology is great. I have a theology concentration myself, but it's like... Subtle flex, subtle flex. Right. <laughs> but there's still that, like, Christ still needs to be the end goal of everything. So if he isn't, then you need to reevaluate what it is particularly that you're doing and, and why. And I find that something that, like, I, I mean, I've noticed it a bit here at school. This is just from my, just from my, like, third party looking at, not so much, like, judging other people but this is just me viewing how other people an observation (laughs) let's say that of like how how i see other people like living at their faith lives which is i mean it's cool because everyone like does it uniquely because it's your own relationship with god but i find that especially if you over into it like i can't talk if you over intellectualize your faith it can almost become a sort of i don't want to say competition with Uh, other people it's you can say competition yeah i'm just gonna i'm gonna say competition because there's there's definitely even here at our catholic school like it's a catholic college but i've found that there's a lot of like mini fractures within the catholic community because like there's a lot of different groups not that the groups are bad in and of themselves they've done a lot of good but it's just people are part of different groups and like they kind of guide the kids as to how they should pray and it's just like i've noticed like if you don't do that there's like a subtle air in the atmosphere of you might not be as good a catholic i don't want to go so far as to say that well, like I would say, like two things. One, like all, like literally the first two weeks of freshman year was watching kids trying to like out, you know, be pretentious with one another and see how many like Plato quotes they could throw or whatever. But also, I too, like one example I was thinking of is you know when um, this was first year when there was the mass restrictions in mass, and then they, you know, like do you remember when they said like. If you wanted to receive in the hand, just go forward. If you wanted to receive on the tongue, you had to wait. 
Like, I feel like sometimes for some people it could be like a litmus test almost to see like who is like who are like the the, the really dedicated the true Catholics. Like waiting that. waiting till the end. Which I mean like there's nothing wrong with like receiving on the hand. It's like I mean if you feel called to then you do it. But it's just kind of like. Of course, you could go Byzantine and solve that problem. <laughs> everyone, everyone just gets it on spoon. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's not an advertisement or anything. It's just, you know. <laughs> it's just, it's just a, a small little permission. But right. I don't know. It's just like I find that that was weird because I think I think I've told both of you all this, but it's ever ever since I've I've kind of been at college. I found that I've been like a small period of desolation, mm-hmm. and it's like I found that like it's always been harder to be a Catholic here at a Catholic college and it has been back home. And I've like, I tried to figure that out for literally the past two years. And it like, and it wasn't until I had a conversation with a friend of mine who talked about like encountering the Lord, like in both your head and your heart versus just encountering the Lord in your head. Because I find that like, it kind of goes back to what you were saying, Zach, about how your relationship with God involves you encountering him in both aspects. But if you just encounter him in one, then you run the risk of ultimately missing out on a big like portion of that relationship with him. And it can then throw you into periods such as desolation, or you just kind of feel estranged from your faith. I think it's really interesting that you've been in a, a period of desolation because at least for me, I come from a very rural parish in which there are very few of us and most are over the age of 50. <laughs> um, all think I'm going to be a priest naturally as I'm the only you know youth there um, so coming to a, a Catholic school has been um, you know quite quite different for me because yeah. suddenly I'm surrounded by a whole bunch of people who are my age who are attending mass and who at first glance at least all seem to be very devout but then once you sort of get used to it you're like wait a minute, like, th- yeah. there's some stuff here, which is really sad because, so, again, where I'm from, uh, at my high school, there were very small, rural high, rural high school, you know, there were um, four of us, no, three of us who were actually Christian, uh, except I had a friend who was both both Protestants, and then me, the Catholic, <laughs> and we banded together, and we, we wouldn't really have theological conversations, but we could at least sort of commiserate in belief in There's enough commonality. There's enough commonality, and there was enough animosity against us that it was, the commonality outweighed the animosity, right? Yeah. But then, you know, I I came here, and suddenly, nope. (laughs) Like, there's, even among Catholics, there's a lot of splintering. Oh, yeah. Which I wasn't expecting, but... Well, even, like, before this place, I went to, like, a more mainstream Catholic high school, and then, and I wasn't really Catholic at this time, and then... I went. I I don't go to Thomas Aquinas College, but I visited there just because my confirmation sponsor wanted me to check it out. That's where I like. It's like a whole other world opened up to me because I'm like, okay, these people actually want to go to mass. They're dedicated to the faith. It's like there's an intellectual aspect to. I'm like, I never experienced that before. But then also then at the college we are now, then you once you're once you're in that community long enough, then you start to notice some of the little the the little. Backside, you know, down. I guess you say downsides that you hadn't really thought of prior. Yeah, and I, I mean, I do think something I have to remind myself is to not let the negatives outweigh the positives. Because, like, I definitely have grown as a Catholic since I've been here. It's just like there have been a lot of new challenges that I think have arisen as a result of kind of getting out of the bubble, as one priest put it to me when um, 
when I had to ask them about it. But it's just it's just really weird to see like how a Catholic community can kind of like because we're all literally on the same path to God. Like we are all called to go to heaven. We're running the same race, and like our paths like intersect at different points. And I mean, we even literally say it in the creed every mass is like we're one holy Catholic and apostolic church, specifically the one. Yeah. But it's I find that there's a lot of like battleground lines drawn throughout the church itself. Like, what does that one actually mean? Yeah. And so I think there just needs to be an emphasis to actually reunite. And I know I know there have been efforts in the past to do that that haven't been that successful. <laughs> but I mean I mean such as like I mean such as the Latin the Latin mass thing. Like I like it was it was like kind of a move to try to reunify. It I, I do think it backfired to a degree. I get I get the intent, but I could have been carried out a little better, but I mean that's 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 not for this podcast. But I mean it, it was a well intentioned move that I just don't think played out as it could have. Well, kind of building off. I hate saying building off. That's such building a off. Oh my no, word! Like you sound like a professor, right? <laughs> no, but for real, like something I've noticed as well as sort of a in in some people's you know sort of zealotry, they tend to betray their own principles. To like, oh. for example, I'm like. You yourself, on one hand, you can't tell like a Baptist or an Eastern Orthodox Christian that you need to submit to the Pope or you go to hell, and then turn around and say like you know the current Pope is a heretic. We have to like recognize <laughs> and resist. like you know it's kind of like I think sometimes it's hard to get people to join us because they see these sort of two faced attitudes that make us look like we're hypocrites almost. Or yeah, that we don't really even know. Like there, there's a there's a lack of consistency i feel like in some of these circles and it makes it like yeah maybe it's only in their group but it kind of affects the image of all of us i think to people outside yeah and i did hear well yeah i mean kind of saying what you're saying about like the hypocrisy those i mean like we believe that the pope is the successor of saint peter but i have heard um like i definitely did hear one guy i know he had like jokingly called pope francis a heretic but, like, there's a truth behind every joke. And I'm just, like, I'm, like, you can't call yourself a Catholic. And, like, even jokingly call him, like, yeah, you might disagree. But it's just, like, it's that yeah, kind it's of... It's not something to treat lightly. Yeah, yeah, but it's also just, like, it's it's an outsider looking on the Catholic Church, seeing us fighting amongst each other. Like, that just turns them away. Like, I like their retreat I worked this past summer. I talk about this way too much. But oh, in my small group, there were three Catholic kids and then three Baptist kids that I was, like like leading for and literally i learned so much from the three i mean i learned so much from all of them but especially the three baptist kids like i was just like like whoa this is really cool like one of the girls um came up to me we had a night where we did like praise and worship and confession and adoration and one of them came up to me and it was like like what's confession like are we able to go to it and i told him i was like i'm well i mean it's like a catholic sacrament only catholics can receive it but i mean you honestly like you could go I mean, you can go talk to a priest. It's literally like sometimes my confessions literally just turn to me talking to the priest for like way too long. And then That's I get out yeah. and all the people are mad at me for taking too long. But it's like, it's like therapy. you know, it's I mean, it's really awesome. But it's like, I mean, I, I already told the girls, I'm like, I'm not here leading the retreat to convert you to Catholicism. I just want to bring you closer to God. And I think that's something that Catholics need to be saying more. Of, OK, not because I said it. I'm just like, yeah. but like just like you need to have that mindset of like we're all in the same path to heaven regardless of your like faith because we all worship the same god i mean unless you're like like pagan or like 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 like, 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 like specifically christians but it's like 
No, yeah, like treating them as human beings and, and trying to forge real relationships, you know, even if you do end up... It, obviously, we should want them to become Catholic. Yeah. But you still want to be, you know... The only way you can do that, though, is you forge, like, a genuine friendship with them as well. Yeah, and I think, like, that can be one way that you could kind of repair some of the fractures within the faith and within a lot of Catholic communities, like even here at college is just like, there needs to be an emphasis that we are, that we are one and that just because you don't pray a specific way, doesn't mean you're not as good a Catholic. It's like receiving on the hands versus the tongue. It doesn't make you more pious to receive on the tongue than on the hands. As it's just like, though we all know the Byzantine way is, is superior. It's superior. It's, no, it's, no, that's no. the one exception. Hypocrite. Hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> You see, sometimes it's justified. Did, did you not hear what we just talked about? Oh, intinction? Intinction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bring that. Okay, look at that. Into it. Like, use a pack. No, it's great. Are, it's, it's, yeah. it's so, it really, because it's like you you humble yourself, so you, you make yourself almost defenseless in a way, yeah. and then they, you know. Well, also, this is kind of a way to bring back the uh, the, the actual use of the wine. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean that. that was, that was... The first time I actually received on the tongue was I had to because of intinction. It was when we were in the Clementine Chapel for Rome. I mean, like I was crying because I was like, "This is so awesome!" But it's just like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is a cool thing to do, though. Oh yeah, I mean, it's you know, I would add as well that going to an Eastern Rite church, I feel a greater sense of security because by precedent and tradition, those churches have been heavily protected by Rome, mm. and so I don't. Like, I don't fear going and then waking up one morning uh, to a, a new document from the Pope saying that that right's been restricted for, you know, X, Y, and Z reasons, where I feel like with the Latin Mass, that's obviously, as we've seen, it's a, it's a, it's a greater risk. As, as unfortunate as it is, it's just the reality we live in. Well, I did, I did actually, um, well, speaking of Latin Mass, I'd gone to my first one over the summer. I, I'll admit, I was kind of, like, skeptical at first. I'm just like, I'm like... Yeah. Oh, what's this? What's this thing people talk about? It's kind of it's like some <laughs> secret culty thing. But I was like, I mean, I went. It was it was different because I mean, a lot of there's a lot of like genuflecting, and like the priest says a lot of the liturgy of the Eucharist prayers to himself, or like like inaudible to the crowd. But I mean, there definitely was a sense of reverence. It was it was a really cool experience. Shout out to uh, Mia for dragging me and the other people along to it. It was cool, but it's just like there's a lot of. I think treasures found throughout the Catholic Church, like little, like, well, I, I mean, what's like the proper terminology for it? Like little, little, uh, like little, like jewels or treasures. Is good treasures yeah. I mean, and I think a lot so of this have been taken. It's no, no, no. Define your terms. Defi- it's like, be specific. No, but um, it's, I think like there's a lot of treasures in the church that because we're fighting so often. I mean, not us three specifically. I like to think we get along as roommates, but uh, it's but no, I think except for that the, one Eastern guy over there. No, 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 no. Oh, we don't talk about Geo, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this video has been a sponsorship for the Eastern right. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. Sponsored by local Byzantine game, rise up. <laughs> but um, no, it's. I mean, it's just kind of like I find that when we fight amongst ourselves, there's. There's just like a lack of, a lack of, I don't want to say a lack of respect for the church and what it stands for. Oh, kind of. But it's like you lose, I mean, you lose sight. I mean, I think you, Gia said this earlier, but it's like you lose sight on what Catholicism is actually about, which is about developing a relationship with God, like you said earlier, Zach. Is it's just like, 
you need both faith and feeling in order to actually morph like that relationship with a guy because it's a two-way street it's not a one-way and i mean kind of like what you said earlier geo it's just like if you know half the summa and you can recite plato to flex on kids which i mean i mean from where i'm from i'm gonna be honest here is like if you did that i mean it's not really the cool thing to do but it's like i mean it's cool and all but right no it's it's just like that's not gonna get you to heaven and it's like it can help but like that's just like like at the end of the day that is not what actually matters it's just like the the guy who's the like the illiterate man who doesn't know jack squat and can't read jack squat can get to heaven over the most literate dude in the world oh yeah and so i don't even know where i was going with that point it just sounded kind of cool so i went with it <laughs> but <laughs> i want to shift gears a little bit i have an interesting question so Obviously, at our CERN university, <laughs> we have a, what's called a core curriculum. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Who said it was a university? No. <laughs> no. So, for those who aren't familiar with this, basically, some colleges will have what's called a core, where there's a certain level of classes that everyone has to take. That And along with this, we have the great books. So, these are like classics in the Western tradition. And, however, there are some at our campus who would like to add certain works to the core. Now, I'm open to it. However, I know there's some who would be more radical and say, well, not only do we want to add stuff from, say, more Eastern philosophers or people from Africa, but they also they want to remove, so like Aristotle. Have we heard, has this actually occurred? In some universities, yes. Not oh, ours, right. thankfully. But dear, I know that there, there, are, there are certain circles here who might want that. Now, I personally am open to adding people, right? Like, I think there's... People like for there's Eastern Christians, obviously not biased or anything, but also those like Confucius, <laughs> or whoever that could be beneficial. I definitely don't think we should remove anything anything because if you remove like like Aristotle, Aristotle you can't Plato. understand anything else. I think we like, kind of at this point we sort of have the bare bones. It's not the bare bones. It's, it, our core is gigantic. Well, we have yeah. the, we have the a solid foundation that could be stronger, but I think that if you pull anything from this foundation, the building is, yeah, it's not going to be as strong. Well, I would also um, say, I find, like, I mean, Plato and Aristotle also, I mean, although they, I mean, obviously weren't Christian, but some of the things, like the divided line or, like, Aristotle's unmoved mover theory, like, those are, like, atheistic, exam like, atheistic examples that actually support a, like a Catholic standpoint, it's like the unmoved mover of like, put like pure something with pure actuality, like that hat, like like because like everything with potential has to be moved by something that is pure, like that has actual energy because potentiality is moved into actuality, and so there has to be one being at the beginning of it all that has pure actuality, and like that being is what we would call God. But it's just like I find that if you remove some of those you, in part, do lose an aspect of the Catholic education we're well, yeah, receiving. Like, like, how can you, if you don't, for example, if you don't have Aristotle, how will you understand Aquinas when he says, well, the philosopher says, he's like, well, who's the philosopher? Well, it's this guy named Aristotle. And who's that? Well, we can't read him because... They, they would just say, read the spark notes. But, <laughs> yeah. The other thing you have to understand, too, is that um, not only for a Catholic education, but I just say, in general, it's good to know these things because then when you get to, say, Nietzsche... You have to realize what he oh, was critiquing, yeah. right? Oh, he was yeah. critiquing it's, it's a long project. And... It's a long chain, almost to some extent. But yeah. like, it's they pull from people from before them. So if you remove, 
Like, for example, like in my philosophy class, we're learning the pre-Socratics right now because people like Socrates, Plato, Saul, they still, they critiqued those people, but they still pull a lot from them. And there's stuff from the pre-Socratics that we could relate to or at least find some value in. So it's like if you remove a bunch of these people, it's like, you know, it will, you're, you're missing such a foundational part of that education. I also don't know if you would add, to be quite honest, though, at the same time. We should the add time. the Volsunga saga. What is that? <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> like, this is, so, so the, the saga of the Volsungs is a um, Norse work. Interesting. Oh. And I think it's, it's just really interesting because it was written, um, oh gosh, when was it written? Uh, well, so it was spoken, it was a collection of different stories that were oral, oral stories okay. that were told all over Scandinavia for quite a while, quite a few hundred years, and then finally they were written down in Iceland, I'm, this is probably the wrong date, I think it was around 1200, might have been a little earlier. So what's fascinating is that Iceland was obviously uh, colonized by the Vikings. But it was also Christianized. So what's so fascinating is that all the, the Norse legends that we have were copied primarily in Iceland by Christians, kind of reflecting back on the history of their Viking ancestors. So it's sort of similar to how like Christians, for instance, recopied like Aristotle and Plato. Exactly. Interesting. And it, it's sometimes too, uh, for example, there are... Another, no, I mean, there are many works, but the two other major works in the, in the Norse canon would be the Poetic and the Prose Edda. Um, the Prose Edda obviously is not poetic. I mean, it's poetic in its own right, but it's not. It's supposed to be sort of a, a just a straight up, this is what the myths are, like just a storytelling. And it was written by Snor uh, Snorri Sturluson, okay. who um, actually tries to justify a lot of the, like, he tries to fit. The mythology into Christian history, and really? it's really interesting. So he says, like, these were the gods before Christ came. And, wow! And he also attributes the the uh, the Norse gods to um, the ancestors of the Trojans. Oh wow! So he's really tying. He's in. trying. To, I mean, he's trying to get there. everything in there. I think another one as well. I would add are there were how do I put so like Europe got certain parts of the classical works but then like the arab world for instance got others so you had like certain muslim i forget the name there's one i can't pronounce his name there's one major muslim philosopher his name because of the a it's avicenna avicenna ave or avoret something like that well avaros yes and aquinas references him a lot because he yeah. did commentaries on various classical greek works so i think maybe potentially read some of his stuff as well could help because like they, yeah. he, I imagine he probably did commentaries on different stuff than like what Aquinas did or what people in Europe did. Because Aristotle originally circled into the Arab world mm -hmm. um, before then coming back to the West. Right. So. I do, I do think it's interesting to kind of think about like with the whole burning down of the Library of Alexandria. Like imagine, imagine how different society or like our understanding would well, be of education. Our yeah. Like if you actually had like all those however many hundreds thousands of documents that were burned or i mean was it like hundreds of thousands i don't know it was like an absurd amount of documents but it was just like i think it'd be so different today but yeah i mean do y'all have anything y'all want to add or do y'all want to are y'all cool with wrapping up I mean, we could always add more but <laughs> but for for time's sake maybe, maybe save it for a few for a future <laughs> right. episode but uh when we lament about burning the library of alexandria <laughs> But yes, and uh, just a disclaimer, this was not a promotion of the Eastern Rite Church, although uh, 
Giovanni's uh, saluting right now, so no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, okay, as I like to do with all episodes, let's end in a prayer. So let us remember we're in God's presence. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, Lord, thank you for this conversation today. Thank you for bringing Zach, Gio, and I here together today to discuss some uh, fun topics, to say the least, in Catholicism. And um, yeah, just please help us to be courageous, to unify as a church, and to just bring peace to the world. And we ask this in your most holy name as we pray. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.